Why don't you turn to the book of Esther this morning? And I'm going to read just a few verses in the fourth chapter, but we're, we're going to kind of hopscotch through the whole book, or most of the book, this morning. A lot of times I, uh, I tell the people that, that sit in uh, the Bible studies that I teach that I teach kind of like uh, you're skipping a rock across the surface of a, of a pond or a, a lake and, and it just, just kind of hits the high points, you know. That's, that's kind of what we're going, to, we're going to do this morning as we look at, at, uh, at this. And by the way, uh, if you're interested, tonight at 5 o'clock there will be a, we will stream the premiere of uh, our newest Bible study on the uh, Legacy Classics page. And uh, we're, we're in a study right now called uh, New Testament Concept Words. And, and I told them, I said, that really doesn't sound exciting. That's not, boy, that's a boring subject. But, but when we get into it, we, we deal with some exciting concepts. And tonight we're looking at the word of grace. And so uh, if you're interested, uh, it, it premieres at 5 o'clock this afternoon on, the, like I said, the Legacy Cla Classics uh, Facebook page. And uh, if you need to know how to get there, talk to somebody besides me. Because I can do it, but it's a struggle. <laughs> Esther, the fourth chapter, starting to read at verse number 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou, thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I hope you know that that is the, the central text of the book of Esther. Who knows, but you are coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, verse number 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink, three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. I have titled this message this morning, The Path of Providence. Years ago, I took a course uh, at Southern Nazarene University, Bethany, Bethany College, Bethany Nazarene College, at that time, that, that shows how, how old I am to go back that far, but Bethany Nazarene College. And I took a course that was titled Epistemology, 
which is the study of how we learn. Okay, it's just a big dollar and a half word for the study of how we learn. And I learned in that course, probably the only thing I learned in that course, but I learned in that course that if we don't understand the terminology that we're using, we don't correctly communicate. In other words, you have to know how I'm using a word so that it means the same to you as it means to me. Now, Dr. Josh, I think that's good teaching, isn't it? We have to know, we have to know what we're talking about. We have to know what we're talking about. So, to be sure that we're on the same page today, I want you to understand what I mean when I use the word providence. Now, there are several, there are several definitions. But my favorite says, providence is a manifestation of divine care or direction. A manifestation of divine care or direction. A number of you, maybe many of you, but, but a number of you have heard me say, as Christians, we do not believe in coincidence. We do believe in providence. We believe in providence. Now, coincidence says, well, isn't that so? It just happened that way. It just happened that way. But for the Christian, if we are truly endeavoring to live in the will of God, God has a way of bending our paths to get us to the place where he wants us to be. To put us in the right place at the right time. Now to me, that is providence. Things don't just happen, but they are providentially guided. Providentially guided. Over the history of our lives, and uh, in August, Janice and I will have been married 52 years. And uh, over the history of our lives, there have been... There have been things that we have encountered that haven't been any fun. Everybody do like this. If you've lived any length of time at all, there have been things that have happened in your life that haven't been any fun. And our oldest daughter and I were talking just this last week about the fact of, of some of these things. And we, we discussed... But if it hadn't have been for that, we wouldn't be here. And, and, and I look back at those and I think, man, I wouldn't want to go through that again. But it was those events that bent the path of our lives that bring us to this point. And today, this is one of the best times in my life. Now, admittedly, I'm having some physical problems that are no fun. But I'm here with you, and I'm here with this staff, and I'm here with our pastor and his wife, and I'm telling you what, I love it. And I believe that God bent our paths and brought us here to this time. Now, there are a couple of verses of Scripture that instruct our thinking about this, okay? 
Psalm 37, verse number 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, speaking of the Lord, delighteth in his way. And, and, and you look at that and you say, But Lord, why this and, and why that? You know, I don't understand why God allows things just like they are, but he is God and he can do what he wants to do. He is sovereign and he can do what he wants to do. The other passage of scripture that we, we speak of a lot is in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, where Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and to, to, to them that are called according to his purpose. All things, work, all things are not good, but all things work together for good. To them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the book of Esther. All right? Lori Hatcher, in her devotional titled, Refresh Your Faith, says the story of Esther contains all the components of a box office hit. A handsome king, and honestly I read that and I wondered, how does she know he was handsome? But apparently women intuit something like that, okay? So it contains a handsome king, a beautiful queen, an evil villain, and an epic battle. Its plots, subplots, twists, turns, humor, and surprise ending keep you reading until the last satisfying chapter. On the other hand, you may or may not know this, but on the other hand, there are those that argue that the book of Esther shouldn't even be in the canon. In, in, the, in the list of, of the books of Scripture. And the reason that they say that is because in the book of Esther, the name of God is never called. It's never spoken. And some of them say, if God isn't mentioned, it shouldn't be there at all. Okay? But I have a favorite study Bible. And in his notes, Don Stamps stresses the providential role of God's work repeatedly in his introduction to the book of Esther. He says, God's providence is everywhere present in the book. It is first seen in the selection of a Jewish virgin to be the queen of Persia. Again, when Mordecai brought her up as his daughter, and then later Mordecai overheard an assassination plot against the king, and then later the fact that the king providentially discovered that Mordecai had made this discovery. And so all of these things, you read, you read through the book of Esther, and if Esther was a crime scene, and you sent in the forensic team, and you said, take fingerprints, the fingerprints of God would be all over this book. You read it. 
If you haven't, you should. It's a, it's a, it's a great story. It's a great story. So there are, there are five things that I, let, let me give you five pegs to hang these thoughts on this morning. Let's talk first about, let's talk about an orphan. Secondly, let's talk about an opportunity. Third, an opponent. Fourth, an occasion. And five, an out. Okay, those are the five pegs that I want us to hang this outline on this morning. An orphan, an opportunity, an opponent, an occasion, and an out. Let's talk about an orphan. Esther chapter 2, verse number 7, and he, speaking of Mordecai, brought up Hadassah. Now, we call her Esther. But her Jewish name was Hadassah. So Mordecai brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her for his own daughter. Esther is the heroine of this story. But the hero is her cousin Mordecai. And when you look at that, you find that it's hard to say which one of them is more important in this story, Esther or, or Mordecai. But the scripture tells us that Mordecai was, was carried into captivity, and history reveals that that captivity took place somewhere around 600 B.C. Now, we're not told this, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that at that same time that Esther's parents were probably taken captive also and that they were carried away, and neither are we told how they died. But somewhere along the line, Esther's father and mother, and maybe in a common tragedy, but somewhere along the line, Esther's father and mother both died. So Mordecai, Esther's cousin, assumes the responsibility of raising this girl as his own. He took her as his daughter. He adopted her, if you will, and he raised her as his own. And we can also surmise from the influence of Mordecai that apparently he was a leader in the Jewish community. And this is because of, of the influence that he exhibits as you, as you read through the book, that here is a man that that is a leader in the Jewish community. So he took this, this little orphan girl, brought her into his home, and raised her as his own daughter. So that's, that's the orphan. So the second thing, we need to talk about the opportunity. Look again at chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and it says, Let the king appoint officers... In all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan, the, uh, Shushan the palace. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. There is, in the, in the early chapters, in, in, in chapter 1, and a little bit in chapter 2, 
But there is in chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2 of the book of Esther a detailed backstory that brings us to the point where Esther has the opportunity to participate in this royal beauty pageant. Okay? But the short version is that the queen of the realm, Vashti, fell into disfavor with the king and was, was deposed. That's the, that's the short version. Now, there's, there's a lot of detail to be read in, in, in the first chapter of, of the book of Esther. But, but what we need to know today is, is that the queen dishonored or disfavor, fell into disfavor with the king. And he said, you're not queen anymore. He didn't see life like we do. <laughs> Good or bad, pretty or ugly, you marry him for life. But this guy had absolute power. And he said, fooey on you, you're through. And out of the palace she went. So to fill this vacancy that was left by no queen, a royal beauty pageant was held and all the fairest maidens of the kingdom were entered. Can't you imagine the, the leaders of all the providences begin to go into the homes and say, we'll take this one and we'll take that one and we'll take that one. And, 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 and these young women said, but I don't want to go. Doesn't make any difference. The king says, you're pretty. Come and come with me. They didn't have any choice. All of the young maidens were, were entered in. And, and when, I, when I read this and began to meditate on it, it caused me to ask a question. How large was the Persian Empire? How large was this? How many, how many provinces are we talking about? How, how big is this area? And I think, was it as big as Oklahoma City? You know, there was a time, it's been a number of years ago now, but, but there was a time when Oklahoma City held the distinction of being the largest city in the world in land area. Not near in population, but when it came to, to square miles that we covered, at one time we were the largest city in the world. Well, it was bigger than Oklahoma City. Was it as big as Oklahoma? Well, we're not as big as Texas, and Texas isn't as big as Alaska, but but we're not by by any means we're not by any means the the smallest of all the states. But it was bigger than Oklahoma. You look at a map of the ancient realm of Persia, and you find that Persia stretched from the 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 kingdom of Persia stretched from the southern tip of Egypt to the northern edge of Greece and from there spread east into parts of India. Now folks, that's, that's a lot of square miles. That's a lot of provinces. That's a lot of young women. It was huge. And the number of participants in this beauty contest must have gone into the hundreds. And when they got to the palace, they spent time preparing. And 
In the evening, one of these contestants was ushered in the presence of the king, and most of them spent a night with the king, and the next day went into his harem, and probably most of them were kept, but never called on again. Hundreds of young women participated in this. But from this vast number, this adolescent Jewish maiden was chosen. What were the odds? How did it happen? It happened because it was in the providence of God. It happened because God bent Esther's path to be in the right place at the right time and put favor toward her into the heart of the king. And Esther chapter 2 verse number 17 says, And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. All the sources that I checked said that Esther became queen, probably, when she was a teenager. And most of them think that it was when she was an early teen, that she was the age of 13 to 15 years of age when she became queen of the realm. Now I look at that and I did that research and I thought who do I know that falls into that age group? On the 6th of next month my granddaughter will be 14 years old. Now I want you to know that when it comes to my granddaughter I am obviously prejudiced. Make no apologies for it. I am obviously prejudiced. But I think she's the prettiest teenage girl that I know. Of course, I don't think she's even old enough to be a teen. But, but she is. And she'll be 14 in just about 30 days. Just about 30 days. But, but she is still a kid. She is immature, she has the appetites, and, and she has the values of a young teenager. And, and as much as, as proud as I am of her, I can't imagine her becoming the queen of the realm. Hello? Some of you are parents of teenagers. Some of them older than that. You can't imagine them being queen of the realm. You just can't imagine that. But you see, God, God took this young woman. Can I tell you that when you look at the life of Esther, you, you look at her and it seems like that almost everything is against her. She is the descendant of, of a captive in, in the land of Persia and she is an orphan 
raised by an, an, an adoptive father and and now she comes into this place and she is crowned the queen of all Persia. And we see that God can take the life of someone who seems to have everything against them and use them for his glory and use them as a blessing for other people. Hello? God can do that. You, you say, look at me, I'm just ordinary. I, I just don't have much going for me. I don't have many talents. I don't have many abilities. But God will take your life. God will take whatever you've got if you will yield it to him. And he will use you to bless his kingdom and to bless other people. If you will just surrender your little bit into the hand of God. There's an old song that says little is much if God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So we've looked at an orphan and then there was an opportunity. And the opportunity she became the queen. The third thing is that, remember Lori Hatcher said, this, this story's got to have a villain. So we're going to look at the opponent. Look at Esther chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn, now, now listen to that phrase, okay. He thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus or Xerxes even the people of Mordecai several scholars say that there were probably several years between chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the the common opinion that I found was that probably between chapter 2 and chapter 3 that five years had elapsed and now a man by the name of Haman has become the favored Lord in the in the courtroom of the king. And those that study such things say that he probably had his own throne. Now it wasn't like the throne of Xerxes, but he had his own special chair that he sat in there and and Xerxes had given him the honor that as he went down the street that all of the people were to bow and to pay homage to him. But the problem was that Mordecai would not bow. Now we're not told specifically why. It just says he wouldn't bow. Okay, Probably it was religious convictions. And being a Jew, that would give Mordecai a legitimate reason not to bow down to, to Haman. But Haman, as he, and, and it, just, it just steamed him. He just became terribly upset, enraged. And, and, he, and, he, and he wanted to kill Mordecai, but, but he reasoned, why just kill Mordecai? 
let's kill all the Jews in the whole Persian Empire. Let's just, let's just kill them all. Now you look at that and it brings up another question. It says to us, how would this affect Esther, the queen of the realm? Now Mordecai had counseled her, don't, don't tell them that you're a Jew. But she was. And so Mordecai came to the palace. And he sought help from Esther. Look at Esther chapter 4, verse number 13. Then Mordecai commanded to Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's, escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. In other words, he was saying to her, You are a Jew. It's going to be found out. And if you don't help us, help will come. We read this in the text a while ago. If you don't help us, Help will come from somewhere. But if you don't speak up, don't think you're going to escape because you and all your father's house will be destroyed. But who knows that you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. That you're here today because of this. And see, all, all of this all of this path that we've been walking in the discussion of, of Esther is to help us to realize that God has a way of placing his people just at the right time, in just the right place, to make an eternal difference. And whether the difference is small or large, God has a time and a place for each of us. I don't care who you are. God has a time and a place where he wants to use you. And if you will surrender to him, he will put you in that place at that time so that you can bring glory to him and so that you can help others. So there was the orphan, the opportunity, the opponent. Now let's talk about an, uh, an occasion. Look at chapter 5. And we're going to read verse number 4 in chapter 5. And Esther answered... If it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman, now that's, remember, that's the villain. Here we've got the good king that loves Esther and the villain that hates Esther's people. And Esther says, if it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto a banquet that I have prepared for him. You see, as we follow the the details of this story, we find Mordecai coming to Esther in the hour of need, and the obvious answer to their problem was for Esther to go to the king for assistance. Now, approaching the king was no easy matter. There are some that would say that I'm the king of my house. There are some that might disagree with that. But there are some that would say that I'm the king of my house. Let me, let me tell you something. If my wife comes into my presence, she knows it's all right. She can, she can come there anytime. She's always welcome to come where I'm at. 
But when Xerxes sat on the throne, if he didn't invite you and you came into his presence uninvited and he didn't stretch forth his golden scepter to where you were off with your head. The life of such a person was forfeit. And Esther realized that. Esther knew that. And here she needed an audience with the king, but she was not invited into his presence. And so she said, we need to do something to get ready for this. So she sent back to Mordecai. She said, you tell all of the Jews in, in Shushan, all of the Jews in, in Susa, you tell all of the Jews that are in this, in this city, and I'll tell the maidens that serve me here for the next three days, night and day, don't eat or drink. Let us fast. Now, it doesn't say so, but you, you must make the assumption that they are fasting and praying. Let me tell you something. If you fast and don't pray, you're just going hungry. Come on. You're not, you're not accomplishing any good. You're just going hungry. And, and I don't like being hungry that well. I don't know about you, but she said for the next three days, day and night, we'll neither eat nor drink. And underlying there, you, you assume that she's saying, and we're going to bombard heaven. We're going we're to touch the throne of God. We're going to appeal to the king of all kings and ask him for his favor and for his help. And the king did give her an audience. And she invited the king and Haman to a banquet. And at that banquet, she said, I'm going to have another banquet and I want you to come. And I've got a petition. I've got something I want to ask you. But let's, let's, let's feast this time. And then you come to the next banquet. And I'll tell you what I want. She was a woman of understanding who realized that she needed to prepare prepare the king's heart to hear what she had to say to hear her petition so that's the orphan the opportunity the opponent the occasion now let's talk about an out Esther chapter 11 pardon me Esther chapter 8 Verse number 11, the very first part of the verse says, Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life. There, there is a popular recreation today, especially among young people, called an escape room. Anybody ever been in an escape room? Yeah, some of you have. Uh, I never have. I'd probably still be there. Okay, you laugh, Sister Brooks, but I'd probably still be there. But in these escape rooms, they have certain hints and that type of thing, and they're, they're in this locked room, and they have to figure out how to get out. There has to be an out. There has to be a way to get out of this room. You see, between the first and second banquets, we see that Haman is still at work. That this guy is so full of himself and he wants to 
make a spectacle of Mordecai and destroy all of his descendants. And, and he goes out and he builds a, a, a gallows to hang, to hang Mordecai on. And the scripture in the King James says is 50 cubits tall. That's 75 feet. He was going to make a real spectacle. He was so full of himself. I'm just going to hang him up there and we're just going to make fun. I'm going to take this guy's life. Haman erected this gallows between the first banquet and the second banquet. But at the second banquet, Esther petitions the king for her people to be saved, revealing the plot of Haman. And as you read the, the events unfolding, the king becomes very angry because what is going on. Now, Haman has this power to do this all on his own. But the king... And, and, and he has sealed it with the signet ring that the king gave him. And it, it had the authority of the king on it. And he sealed it with that signet ring. And, and, and when King Xerxes heard what was going on, he became extremely angry. And he stormed out of the banquet. Out into the garden area near the, the residence of, of Esther. And Haman, realizing that his life was in jeopardy, fell on the bed where Esther was. And the king came back in and thought Haman was trying to molest the queen. Now you talk about a subplot. My mother used to say, that's sighting. That's really sighting. I'm telling you, all of these things are going on. And so the king ordered that Haman be executed on his own gallows. That he hung him 75 feet up, executed him on his own gallows. And he took the royal ring that had been on Haman's hand and he gave it to Mordecai. And the decree that was made, we need to understand this ancient culture. And you can find this in Daniel chapter 6 verses 8, 12, and 15. That the law of the Medes and the Persians, when it was signed with the authority of the king, could not be changed. And so this, this edict can't be changed. But it could be amended. And the king amended it to where the Jews could defend themselves. They could gather together and defend themselves. And when they began to do that, other people began to be drawn to them also. And the victory for the Jews was overwhelming. So in the end, we see that God has a way of reversing even the most threatening situations and circumstances. You, you may be in, in a place today and saying, there's no way out. Let me tell you something. God can make you a way out. God can make a way out. So let's talk about some takeaways. Let's bring this thing to a conclusion. The first thing that you need to take away from this message this morning is that God can take the life of someone who seems to have everything against them and use them for his glory and to be a blessing to other people. 
Never say of yourself, I, I just don't have anything to offer. If you'll take what, whatever you have, whoever you are, and you'll offer that to the Lord, God has a way of taking your life and using you to bless other people. The second takeaway that I want you to see is that God has a way of placing His people at just the right time in just the right place to make an eternal difference. Okay? Not just a difference for time, but a difference for eternity. You can make a difference for eternity. For eternity. The third thing that I want you to see is that God can use the lives of those who have committed themselves to Him to effect future generations. Now folks, of all the things I've said this morning, this may be, this may be the most impactful. That God can take your life and if Jesus tarries, He can use what you do now to affect future generations. There is considerable historic evidence to show that Cyrus, who was a later king of Persia, was the son of Esther and Xerxes. And it was this Cyrus who apparently was the son of Esther. It was this Cyrus who allowed Ezra and those with him to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And he not only allowed them to go back, he sent, he sent assistance financially, materially, to help them rebuild the temple. And it was also the actions of Cyrus that helped prepare the way for Nehemiah and those with him to go back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the walls. So you see, in the obedience of Esther and Mordecai, you see future generations being affected. Have any of you ever heard of the butterfly effect? The butterfly effect? The term butterfly effect is closely associated with the work of a man by the name of Edward Lorenz. And it is de derived from the metaphorical example of the details of a tornado. And how that the tornado was influenced weeks ahead of time on the other side of the world by the fluttering of a butterfly's wings. And as the butterfly here fluttered his wings and the concentric effect of the force of the butterfly wings is multiplied as it moves around the world to affect the weather patterns on the opposite side of the earth. 
Now, Lorenz is not the only one that holds this theoretical opinion that that little butterfly fluttering its wings affects in a major way the other side of the world. You may flutter your wings today and affect generations to come. Affect generations to come. You see, here is our challenge today. Here's our challenge. To, to make up our mind to live today intentionally in such a way that we're always in the will of God so that God can providentially bend our paths to put us in the place at the time when He needs us to be so we can affect other people.